Hey friends, this is Tina Turner. Thanks for tuning in today to the More Precious Than Gold podcast, where we will examine God's Word each episode and find that it is trustworthy, true, and always more precious than gold. Last week's episode, we covered that Jesus declared himself as the bread of life. And he taught us that we have eternal life when we believe in him. When we eat of him, we have satisfaction and purpose in our life. This week, we're going to see Jesus declare himself as the good shepherd. It's going to be so good, you guys. Go grab your Bible and meet me back here as we start John chapter 10. Let's begin reading in John chapter 10. We'll start in verse 11 and go through verse 30, and I'll be reading from the NIV. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and they scatter. The man runs away because he is not the good shepherd, only a hired hand. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were divided again. Many of them saying, he is a demon-possessed man. He's raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I tell you, but you do not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who is greater, has given them to me. He is greater than all, and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Wow. Let's unpack this beautiful I am statement that Jesus gives us about being the good shepherd. In this lesson, he is contrasting himself with the false shepherds with false shepherds that come to kill and steal and to destroy, that sneak into the fold, that cower in the face of danger because they care nothing for the sheep. They're interested only in wages and they do not know or own the sheep. How do we allow the enemy to steal and kill and destroy our lives today? We allow so many things to infiltrate our homes and our thinking We just need to be so careful that we're following the voice of the Good Shepherd and not all of the voices that are clamoring for our attention in the culture that we live in today. It's a real protection in our lives when we know the Good Shepherd and we follow his voice. 
And Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's like none of them. He's like nothing else we've ever seen as a shepherd in scripture. He is good. He is the good shepherd. And that means intrinsically good. He's beautiful and fair. And he is um, the model of what all other shepherds should be like. He is the one who is safe and intimate with his sheep. He's the ideal good shepherd. So to call him good is to call him God. In fact, Mark in his gospel, chapter 10, verse 18 says this, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. So if we're calling Jesus good, we're calling him God, which is one reason why the Jews just stay all stirred up. They do not want to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, come to earth as God in the flesh. They just don't want to admit that. Why a shepherd? Why would Jesus compare himself or say, use the analogy that he is a shepherd? And that made me think of all of the people in the Bible that we know were shepherds. Most, of course, in the Old Testament, but Abel was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Shepherds did not raise sheep to slaughter them in the Old Testament unless it was for a sacrifice. They cared for them. They watched over them. They looked after them. Shepherds knew their flocks intimately and spent most of their time and effort on the flocks. There's also four special ministries that we can see that shepherds do. And the first one, Jesus exemplifies completely. The first one is that they are willing to lay down their life if needed for the sheep. They will die for the sheep. Now, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, told us that sheep would die for a shepherd's sacrifice. A shepherd that had to have a sacrifice, that had to have a sacrificial lamb, could use one of his own lambs to sacrifice in the Old Covenant. But when we move into the New Testament and we move into this new covenant, we see that Jesus, the good shepherd, he would be the sacrifice. He says it over and over in this lesson and over and over in the book of John, um, even in this sermon, clearly he states that he's going to be the one who dies sacrificially. He is laying his life down. He is giving his life for the sheep. No one is taking it from him, he says. He declares that with passion. Did you see that? No one takes it from me. I lay my life down. He did not say he would be a martyr, but he said he would be a sacrifice, a substitute. In verses 12 through 13, he says that he owns the sheep, not like a hired hand. He owns them because he purchases us with his very own blood. We are sheep, his sheep, purchased by him. You know, redeem means to buy back. We've seen that a couple of times as we've studied in our podcast together. And we see that Jesus is the one who repurchases us from our dead way of life, from our sinful way of life, and he redeems us to belong to him. Consider what 1 Peter 1.19 says, that we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 tells us that we are bought with a price. The very blood of Jesus bought us. Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And through laying down his life, he purchases us. Because we belong to him, we are not our own, meaning he becomes our authority. He is the one who is now our authority as our good shepherd. So we really need to learn to release our will or surrender our will over to the one who purchased us. When we look to the cross, we see that Jesus did not run away and hide, but he laid his life down. 
He was led to the cross with a deliberate submission to do the will of God. He, he was led to the cross with a deliberate submission to lay his life down. And we are to follow his example of deliberate submission. We are to die to ourselves, to our own desires and our own will as we live this life for him. It is often a war of our wills. You know, when the disciples said, Jesus, how do we really follow you? How do we really become disciples like you? Jesus said this in Matthew 16, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. And in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, he said, daily you must lay down your life. Take up your cross and follow me. God expects us to have a deliberate submission for his will. How has God asked you to lay your life down? Maybe in a relationship where you don't always have to have the last word. You don't always have to be right all the time. You can love and forgive and get rid of bitterness Maybe it's a work situation that you need to lay your life down at. Maybe God's calling you to do something in your church and he wants you to lay your life down and be willing to sacrifice that time or effort or, or what you need to sacrifice to be able to do the work that he's called you to do. One thing I have found to be true is the closer I am to God, the easier it is for me to release my will to him. If I'm far away and I'm doing my own thing and I'm straying like sheep, do sometimes, it's very difficult to surrender. But when I'm close to God and I am intimately involved in what he's doing in my life, then it's easier for us to do that. Um, We don't want to stay close to the shepherd sometimes when we're not in line and submitting to the shepherd. Is that true? You know, um, Oswald Chamber in his book, My Utmost for His Highest, says it something like this. Our battles are first won and lost in the secret places of our will in God's presence, never in full view of the world. The Spirit of God seizes me, and I am compelled to get alone with God and fight the battle before Him. Until I do this, I will lose every time. I, the battle may take on one minute, or it may be a whole year, But I will depend on God during that time. And if I don't, it will take even longer. But however long it takes, I must wrestle with it alone before God. Nothing has any power over someone who has fought a battle before God and won it there. I must get the issue settled between God and myself in the secret places of my soul where no one else can interfere. Then I can go ahead knowing with certainty that the battle is won. Lose it there and calamity and disaster and defeat will follow. Get alone with God, do battles before him, and settle the matter once for all. This is how surrender to God begins. Not often, but every once in a while, God brings us to a major turning point, a great crossroads in our life. From that point, we either go toward a more and more slow and lazy and useless life for Christ, or... We become more and more on fire, giving our utmost for his highest, our best for his glory. Is there something that you need to surrender to God? You can trust him as your good shepherd. You can give him your trust and fully depend on him as you surrender to his will for your life. The second ministry of the sheep is that he knows his sheep. He knows them. And this, this word know here is an intimate knowledge, an intimate awareness of the sheep. It's not just, oh yeah, that's my sheep, I know that. 
It's, it's this intimacy, this familiar understanding, this familiarity that the hired hand would never have of the sheep. In fact, it goes on, um, these verses go on to tell us that he knows our names. I think about some of the people in the New Testament where Jesus declares their names in a really profound way. You know, Simon. Simon uh, becomes Peter and Jesus knows his as knows him as Simon, talks to him as Simon, but also tells him and declares to him, you're going to be Peter. And upon this rock, you're going to build the church. I'm going to build the church upon this rock and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You're going to be Petros, Peter. He changed his name to be this new name that God was going to use with passion and authority as he built the church. I think about Zacchaeus as he is in the tree. And we sing the little song with our kiddos sometimes in church, right? That Zacchaeus was a wee little guy and he's sitting up in that tree. Jesus called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to your house today. Mary in the garden after the resurrection. And Jesus calls out to her, Mary, Mary. He knows her name and she knows Jesus just by the way that he calls out her name. And then, of course, Saul on the road to Damascus, another name that he changes from Saul to Paul. And you know what? Jesus knows your name, too. He intimately knows you, and he calls you by name. He knows our nature as well. Each sheep has its own distinct character. Think about all the people in the New Testament that have such a completely unique character. And yet Jesus met with each of them exactly where they were to move them forward in faith for him. Thomas was always doubting. And Jesus just continued to ensure that Thomas knew who Jesus was. Even after the cross, when Jesus was before the the disciples and and uh, and had been resurrected but they hadn't actually seen him yet and Thomas says I won't I won't believe that he's alive unless I see the scars in his hands for myself and Jesus meets with Thomas with the other disciples and says look it is me touch the scars on my hands and you can see for yourself he just dispelled all of his doubts away We see Andrew always bringing people to Jesus and Jesus always gave him exactly what he needed to be able to teach people about Jesus. Peter was impulsive and Jesus used him anyway and in a powerful way. And John, the one who's writing this gospel, the one who is so full of passion for Jesus, Jesus always met him right there. John is the one who said, I am the one who Jesus loved. He knew each of them intimately. He knew how to lead them and motivate them and encourage them. And he knows that very same thing about us. He knows us intimately enough to know our name and our nature. You know what else a shepherd does? He knows their needs. He knows the needs of his sheep. And he meets their deepest needs, not just their desires. Psalm chapter 23 tells us that our good shepherd leads us to green pastures, the place where we're going to be nourished the best, where we're going to flourish and thrive, not just survive, to still waters so that we can drink of his living water and never be thirsty. And yes, even through the valleys, Jesus will lead us right through the valleys. He knows us so well and he knows our needs so well that even though valleys will come in our life, and Jesus never promises that we will not have valleys, but he does promise that he will be there in the valley with us. 
another interesting thing about shepherds is they have very peculiar tools, things that we don't normally use today. So the first thing would be a script. And the script was just a bag for his food because he would be on long journeys sometimes and there wouldn't be a lot of food out where he is trying to find a good place for the sheep. And so he'd have to take his food along with him. The next thing is a rod. And most of you are probably familiar with that because of the 23rd Psalm. Thy thy, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So the rod is just a wooden rod. It's for protection. It could also be for stability, walking for the shepherd. It was a weapon of defense. And it's one that all the shepherds would have and would need. And then there was also a sling. The sling um, is probably most familiar when you think about David as being a shepherd. It held small stones, and the, the shepherd would use it for protection, but also for guiding the sheep that were astray. They would direct the sheep by um, a stone right where the sheep were to guide them back into the flock. In the Palestinian area, there are no sheepdogs. And so the shepherd himself would be the one that would control where the sheep go and how they get where they're going. And the shepherd would become very adept at using the sling. Lots of practice out in the fields and the pastures where he had the sheep. And the last is the staff. And the staff is a very intimate tool that the shepherd would use. He would pull back the wandering sheep. He would grab them and pull them back into the flock. And he would also, as the sheep entered the fold, he would lower the staff and the sheep would pass under each one, would pass under the staff as they entered. And the shepherd could take the time to examine each one and see if there was anything wrong or if there was anything that the sheep needed. Um, He would intimately look at each one of them. He used these tools to know the specific need of each sheep. What does it mean to you that God knows you? He knows your heart, he knows your desire, and he knows your greatest needs. He examines your life, and he knows what you need even before you ask him. That is so comforting to me, that we serve a God, that we know a God that loves us so intimately that he knows the deepest need of our heart, not just the superficial things that we allow other people to see, but the deep, deep needs in our lives that only he can fix. The third ministry of the shepherd is that he brings in other sheep. Did you see that in John 10, 16? No longer the God to just the Jews. He would also be a God to the Gentiles. He would bring them into the flock and they would be part of the flock of Jesus and Jesus would lead them as the one good shepherd. The church would soon be Jews and Gentiles together. And aren't we glad? Because most of us, listening to this podcast today are of Gentile descent and we are part of Jesus's flock as we believe him and we trust him as our personal savior. And the fourth ministry here that we see um, that Jesus uses as a um, ministry to to the sheep is that he lays his life down and he takes his life up again. We saw the part where he lays his life down. He's willing to do that. But look at verse 17 and 18. Not only does he lay his life down, but he's able to take his life up again. Through a voluntary death, we see a victorious resurrection. Resurrection. It appears that Jesus is, is executed, but absolutely that is incorrect. That's only a human view of what happens to Jesus. Jesus lays his life down. 
Because he laid his life down willingly, we get to see the divine view where he picks it up again. Look at what Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21 says. It says, I pray that your eyes and your heart would be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparable great power for us who believe. The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. My friends, Jesus has the power to lay his life down and pick it back up. We see a beautiful, victorious resurrection here that Jesus is telling us about that's going to happen very soon in his life. And he's always reminding the disciples that you may see me die, but you'll see me rise from the dead as well. He is definitely the good shepherd. Good always. And that's why we can trust him. When he asks us to lay our lives down, we can trust him. When he leads us to an unfamiliar pasture, we can trust him. When he allows us to wonder, we can trust that he will bring us back to the flock. So how is your relationship with the shepherd? Think about that as we go into the end of our lesson here. We see also that if Jesus has the resurrection power, that's going to really frustrate the Jews again because the Jews don't want to see him do anything that would be related to what God the Father could do. And so as we see the scripture move us in chapter 10, verse 22, to a different time, the Feast of Dedication, the leaders are surrounding Jesus and there's a showdown. And they say to him, tell us the truth. Who are you really? And he says, Jesus says, Look, his response is this. Look at my words. Listen to the things I say to you. Look at my works. Look at the miracles. If you would believe, you would be my sheep. But you don't believe, so you're not my sheep. You don't believe my words are my works because you're not my sheep. The nature of sheep, the nature of true believers is listed here for us in verses 27 through 28. Verses 27 and 28 say this, that my sheep listen to my voice. They are known by me. They follow me. They have eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, nothing can snatch them out of my hand. Nothing can snatch them out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Y'all, this is true of all believers. All believers have these qualities. All believers have the same nature of these true sheep here, listening to the voice of Jesus, being known by him, being willing to follow him, having eternal life, and having the promise that we will never perish and never be plucked out of Jesus' hand once we belong to him. Jesus is our good shepherd, and we can be sure of this. So what does this lesson mean to you today? What do you need from your good shepherd? Maybe you need guidance or direction, protection or provision, a real need deep down in your heart. Maybe it's the courage to follow his will for your life. I'm gonna share a little time in my life when it was very hard to follow my shepherd. It was very hard to have the courage to follow when I knew he was asking me to do. My dad had cancer and he really needed to stay with us. And I didn't mind him staying through all of the medical procedures and I didn't mind taking care of him. 
when he was very sick, but I didn't want him to pass away in my house. I didn't want him to die in our home. I just felt like it would be such a difficult thing to watch him die in my house. And I don't know why I was so opposed to that, but in my heart, it was just a very difficult thing. But I knew, I knew that I knew that that's what God was asking, that that's what God was telling me was gonna happen. Every time I prayed about it, I just knew that I had to bring him home. Every time I thought about it and considered it, I just knew that that's how God was directing us, that we had to bring my dad home to live in our house. And so I I did because I felt like I would just be totally disobedient if I didn't. And I wanted to love my dad in his last days. And I want to tell you what my shepherd did for me in going through all of this. The first thing is my husband was off work and he literally cared for my dad every day while I went to work. He made sure that everything my dad needed was taken care of. We only had one bathtub at the time um, that was upstairs. Well, we had two bathrooms upstairs, but there was no bathtub downstairs. And my sweet husband carried my dad up the stairs to take a bath, to take care of him and um, carried him back down and tucked him into bed every time he needed a bath. I had a friend that worked for hospice and she led the way of getting everything ready for us and prepared for us to bring my dad home. But still in my heart, I was so unsettled. And while my daughter was away at college, her last year, our future son-in-law was living with us and um, our Alex said, look, Nana, I know that you can do this. And he talked to his brother, who was a nurse, and gave me very clear medical advice on why it would be better for my dad to pass away in our home. And it brought such comfort to my heart. God put just the right people at just the right time in my life to be able to walk us through that very, very difficult time. He was my shepherd. And the best part of all about my dad being with us is that I got to spend some sweet time with him that I never would have been able to spend if he wasn't staying with us in our home. And he took time to tell me what he wanted to say to each of his children and each of his grandchildren. And I had these special words that dad gave to me to deliver to them at his, um, at his celebration of life service. And that was so precious to me. I wouldn't have had any of that if I had not been willing to let the shepherd lead me to the unfamiliar pasture he wanted to lead me in. The day that my dad went to be with Jesus, we were all sitting around him. And I remember our sweet little Thompson was a little guy. I mean, he was not even a year old yet, I don't think. And he was just playing on the floor underneath my dad's feet. It was just the sweetest, sweetest time. And I never would have had that if I would not have followed the guidance of my shepherd. You guys, Jesus, as our good shepherd, can be trusted. He is trustworthy and he is true. And you can find the sweetest pastures if you will follow him. He loves you and he always wants the best for you. Let's pray. Wow, Lord, it is so beautiful to see the way that you declare who Jesus is in your word. You give us an intimate knowledge and an intimate picture of who Jesus is. And although we're very unfamiliar with what shepherds do, we can know that as our good shepherd, 
You are right there, intimately connected to each one of us. You know us by name. You know our needs. You know where we need to go. And you're willing to lead us. But the most beautiful thing of all is that you're willing to lay your life down for us. We thank you, Jesus, for the beautiful sacrifice that you gave on the cross for us so that we could be completely forgiven and we could know you intimately. We could be the flock that you govern over as our shepherd. We could be your very own daughters. We could be in the very family of God. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave your life for us. We love you. In Jesus' name.